Sanctify us by the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. There are certain things in life that have consequences. There are some things that have natural consequences. If you drop something, it's going to fall because of gravity. If you don't drink water, you're going to get dehydrated. If someone punches you, it's going to hurt. And there are also some things in life that are man-made consequences. We have a government that has put laws in place for our benefit and the benefit of our entire nation. And when those laws are broken, there are consequences. If you speed on the highway, you're going to get a ticket. If you litter, you'll get fined. If you kill someone, you're going to have to spend some time in jail. But there are times when those consequences aren't always carried out. And one thing that prevents some of those consequences is the presidential pardon. For those of you who might not know what this is, it's essentially the power that every president of the United States has had. And he can pretty much free someone from the consequences of their crimes. One example that came to my mind was President Jimmy Carter and the Vietnam War draft dodgers. In that case, those men who skipped the draft didn't have to face those imprisonments or fines anymore. The president can pardon whomever he wants with almost no questions asked. But from a logical standpoint, that doesn't exactly seem fair. Shouldn't everyone be held accountable for their actions and the consequences that follow? But that's not always the case, as seen with the presidential pardon. And we can compare that presidential pardon to God and his grace. God can save whomever he wants from the consequences of their sins, no questions asked. But sometimes we don't like to accept that. We like to measure God's grace according to our own standards. But today you will see that you can't measure God's grace not towards others, and not towards yourself. For those who are unfamiliar with the story of Jonah, I'll summarize it quickly for you. Jonah was one of God's prophets, one of his messengers. And God told Jonah to go to the city of Nineveh, the capital of one of Israel's greatest enemies, Assyria. But Jonah really didn't want to go to that city. So instead, he got on a boat and sailed in the opposite direction as fast as he could. But God sent storms against the boat, which ended up endangering the whole crew. And so Jonah confessed what he had done, and he had the crew throw him overboard, and then he was swallowed by a huge fish. And Jonah sat in the belly of that fish for three days, until it finally spit him back up on shore. And then Jonah went to Nineveh, and he preached God's message of repentance to them. And that's where the story picks up. Jonah didn't like God's decision to show the Ninevites grace. That's very clear in his reason for not wanting to go in the first place. It wasn't because he was scared of the Ninevites as the enemy of Israel, but it was because he knew that God would forgive them. Jonah knew who God was. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, 
A God who relents from sending calamity. Jonah decided that the Ninevites didn't deserve God's grace. And God did the very thing that Jonah feared. That message of repentance, it worked on the hearts of the Ninevites. And they turned away from their wicked back to God. And God, in his mercy, relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Seeing this, Jonah got so mad that he preferred death over life. And God questions that anger. Is it right for you to be angry? Of course not. Jonah was completely in the wrong for thinking he knew who deserved God's grace and who didn't. To Jonah, those 120,000 Ninevites were disgusting sinners that deserved to be wiped off the face of the earth. But to God, that was 120,000 people, all of whom he had created, not even counting all of the animals in the city. To God, they were his lost children who didn't even know their right from their left. Nonetheless, what is and isn't pleasing to God. We sometimes like to judge who isn't and is worthy of God's grace, just like Jonah did. And we sometimes make that decision on something as simple as an outward appearance. You see that unfriendly neighbor and you think, there's no way that guy will ever want to hear about God's word, especially not from me. Or you see the third different woman that month leave your neighbor's house and think, the only thing that guy will ever worship is his own pleasure. Or you see that coworker who always shares posts about that other political party on social media and think, I can't tell her about Jesus. If she doesn't believe in the right political party, she certainly won't believe in Jesus. But Jesus never viewed others that way. Jesus was just as Jonah described, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. He ate and associated with tax collectors and prostitutes, people on the absolute lowest level of Israelite society. Jesus took the time to heal beggars and to teach them. And Jesus even went so far as to die on the cross, not just for you and me, but for all those people who didn't deserve God's grace. So, is it right for us to decide who is and isn't worthy of God's grace? No. But God uses stories like this to point out our selfish attitude and to bring us back to him in repentance, just like he did for the Ninevites. He fixes the way that we view others so that we see them just as he does, not as those sinners, but as lost children of God. One man that I recently visited, let's call him James, told me an awesome story demonstrating this exact point. James had gotten remarried later in life. And at that point, his new wife had some adult children, including one daughter who was married to a practicing Satanist. And the first time James met this new son-in-law, they got talking about God a little bit. And then a few days passed, and that son-in-law calls his mother-in-law and asks her, does James really believe all that stuff about God? And she said, yeah. And he's right here if you want to keep talking to him about it. 
And so they did talk a little bit more about God and the Bible. And fast forward a few months later, that once practicing Satanist was now regularly attending Bible study, digging deeper into God's word. That is what God can accomplish through us when we don't try to measure his grace towards others. And I'm not telling you this story to make you feel guilty, but I'm telling it to you to inspire you and to ask God to help you see those people in your life who you might think are too far gone as God's lost children and to share with them the grace that God has shown to them and to all people in his son, Jesus. Then you can rejoice every single time one of those lost souls is saved. God had to teach Jonah about his view of grace towards others. But that wasn't the only problem that Jonah had with God's grace. Jonah saw himself much differently than he saw the Ninevites. And in fact, he viewed himself in the exact opposite way. He thought he deserved God's grace. So God, once again, took the time to teach Jonah about his grace, but this time focused on him. As Jonah was sitting outside of the city of Nineveh, waiting to see what would happen, God sent him a plant to give him shade from the sun. And that made Jonah very happy. And so we see God's grace to Jonah right there. But a short time later, God also sent a worm to chew the plant and to kill it. And on top of that, he sent a scorching wind. And once again, Jonah got mad. He thought he deserved that plant. He thought he deserved that grace God was showing to him in the shade from the plant. And he got so mad that he said, once again, it would be better for me to die than to live. Dramatic? Yeah. Self-centered? Absolutely. So God asks him that same question again. Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And this time, we get an answer. Jonah said, yeah, I do deserve to be upset about that plant. Wow, Jonah. God reminds him, you didn't do anything to make that plant grow or to even take care of it. So who are you to get upset about what I decided to do with my creation? And even more unbelievable than that, the audacity Jonah had to get just as mad about one plant that had been alive for less than 24 hours as he did about 120,000 people who were spared from hell. But now that God's grace was going in Jonah's favor, he liked it. And when God decided to take that grace away from him, he thought, it isn't fair. Once again, we can view God's grace a lot like Jonah. We can convince ourselves that we deserve God's grace. All of the good things that God has put into our lives, our possessions, our health, our time, our loved ones, are all graces from God. But sometimes, we think we have a right to those things. And when we have that mindset, we start to focus more on the gifts than on the giver. Then, we start to measure God's grace according to physical blessings instead of spiritual blessings. 
and especially instead of the spiritual blessing of salvation from sin. If and when God decides to take those graces from us, we get mad like Jonah. We think it isn't fair. But do you know what's actually fair? If God struck all of us down dead right here, right now, because of our sins, that's what's fair. But God, God isn't fair. He doesn't give us what we deserve, but he is still gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. The fact that God sent his son Jesus isn't fair. God looked at our sins and the sins of the entire world and he still chose to send Jesus. It's like seeing an enemy on the battlefield who's been killed. And instead of walking away, you decide to give him CPR and to bring him back to life. That doesn't make logical sense at all. But that is exactly what God has done for us. We can't measure God's grace towards ourselves simply because it's too great. Knowing this, it humbles us. And it also inspires our thanks. We can't comprehend the enormity of God's grace, but now we want to share it, even if it's just a fraction of that grace. Before we measure God's grace towards others, we need to consider how immeasurable God's grace is towards us. So the next time you hear about a presidential pardon in the news, remember what God has done to pardon you from your sins. When you think about that immeasurable grace God has shown you, it fixes the way that you view God's grace towards others and towards yourself. And then you can freely enjoy all of those other graces God has put in your life. Take comfort and find joy in that illogical, immeasurable grace. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. We continue by confessing our faith together on using the words of the Nicene Creed found on page 13. Please stand. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, being with the Father. Through him all things were made, for us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became truly human. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who in unity with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. 
we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. You may be seated. We continue with the gathering of our offerings, and we ask that during this time you also sign the Friendship Registers.